Hi, I'm Shane Hurlbut, and I'm an ASC cinematographer. And my wife and I have created this incredible resource called the Filmmakers Academy. And we'd love for you to download and rate our app. If you're a filmmaker, do yourself a favor and download the Filmmakers Academy app today. It's available wherever you get your apps, most notably the App Store, Google Play, Amazon App Store, and the Roku Channel Store. The app includes everything on the platform for all access members and from content to community and coaching opportunities, everything you need to master your craft. So download the app. And this is the most important part. Be sure to rate it. Rating us really helps us spread the word and enhance our rankings in this dedicated app store. So if you love what we're doing, this is a way to show it. Together, let's take your career as a filmmaker to the next level. Welcome to Shane's Inner Circle Podcast with your hosts, Shane and Lydia. Welcome, Inner Circle members, and welcome to the July podcast. I hope you're all doing amazing this summer. Uh, I've already left for Abu Dhabi, and I'm scouting for my next movie, Ex Baghdad, which I cannot wait to share with all of you. There is incredible content coming soon in the Inner Circle. A big request from all of our members has been blocking. So we have a uh, really unique uh, situation where we have set up a whole blocking of understanding over the shoulder and how lenses make you feel and how you can distance your audience or bring them in. And uh, it's going to be amazing for you all to take advantage of that and kind of uh, look at that one. All right. Uh, we have a lot of questions that are for both Lydia and I on this one. This is uh, themed much more of getting into the business and kind of other questions about demo reels and when to move on and when to move up and a lot of a lot of things that you never get online and that's what we're all about here is trying to provide resources to all of you that you just can't grab elsewhere so here we go take it away Lydia hello everybody so excited to be here and I'm gonna read off the uh, the first question from Jacques from Montreal. Hi, Shane and Lydia. I'm very excited that you were both able to answer my question on the February 2017 podcast. Thank you very much. I now have two other questions for you. I know it might have nothing to do with cinema or whatever, but since you mentioned having spent over $60,000 on lights and other things, plus the short film you had to finance for yourself, something spoke to me. So here's my question. How did you cope with the stress of having that amount of money to pay back and all the other responsibilities you have? Because I'm approaching $15,000 from school, buying some grip gear, C-stands, flags, clamps, tools, a few lights, my daily needs, obviously food, transport, phone, my black magic pocket camera, and a Zoom lens, Olympus Zuko. Well, I think you get the point. But I can't help but feeling a bit overwhelmed when seeing so much that I spent so much and how long it will take me to pay it all back. I would like to hear some of your thoughts on the matter, if you will, of course. Here is my second question. Which would you prioritize, making a short film to the best of your capability and sending it to a film festival where you will be able to meet others and create new relationships or a demo reel for yourself to sh show through social media in order to attract work. Thank you a lot for hearing me out on both of these. It means a lot having a mentor that shares his precious knowledge and helps us move toward our success. Well, wow, there's a lot. Jesus, Jock. <laughs> There's a lot. Let me take an initial stab. And I think on this one, Shane and I are going to go back and forth. Regarding the financial part, what I have to say about it is that, you know, it's not, first of all, it's not good to be in debt. There is no, um, we certainly would never encourage that. And being debt free should be the goal for everybody. Having said that, if you're building a business or you are, 
you know, building an arsenal of gear for yourself, there are times when you were strategically borrowing and technically going into debt, but there's a plan in place for payoff. And I think that that is because otherwise it is very overwhelming and you know what you're making and you just see the debt getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So I think the the biggest thing that I would say is that you need to have and you know a plan in place to pay this debt off to earn you the amount of money and even it's over, even if it's over 3 years or 5 years whatever it is but when we have done this whether it's through short films or gear Shane and I have always had a strategy in place for a monthly revenue coming in in addition to what we're making based on renting that gear or based on figuring out a way to get the short finance. So if we initially had to do it ourselves and then we get funding down the road, something like that, but it's never been just woohoo, we're going to buy a bunch of stuff and and sink ourselves with debt. So that's, that's my tipping point. I'm sure that Shane has (laughs) more to add. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I can say is that more than ever now, we are in an ever-changing landscape of the newest camera being obsolete in less than six months. So it's a very, very dodgy thing to do to invest too much in cameras. Investing in lenses, investing in lights, investing in grip gear, those things hold their value and they're always needed in the movie making experience. The camera is ever changing. So I I think that um, I would say invest in lenses, invest in your grip and and lighting gear. If, If you need those kits, I try to rent as much as I can for my projects because things change so quickly. A perfect example, gone out and gotten some uh, Sony FS7s and some A7SR2s. And I had this job that came up that um, felt like it was the absolute perfect camera for this kind of, um, it was supposed to be uh, mimic a security camera. So I'm like, oh my God, you know, we have these cameras kicking around. Let's grab these things. They look video anyway. So that's exactly what the security camera should look like. So let's uh, deploy these FS7s. Well, I get on the tech scout and we're going through the whole thing. And then the visual effects supervisor comes up to me and he goes, I just want to make sure we're good on our delivery. And I'm like, okay, what do you got there? He goes, yeah, I need raw and I need 4K and I need uncompressed and I need to shoot the whole thing at 60 frames per second. And it was like, wah, wah, wah. Okay, there eliminates my camera completely. And I didn't want to go red because it looks too cinematic. So I basically had to switch all the cameras up and went with the Panasonic Vericam to be able to shoot at 60 frames per second, to shoot raw, to shoot at a high ISO of 5,000 which was absolutely essential for pulling this job off because we didn't have the money to light it either. So I had to deal with a lot of the existing practical lights that were already embedded into the location. So these are the things that you kind of go through when you're thinking about what you should invest in. I think lenses are probably the best investment you could ever make for yourself as a cinematographer. And I think that Lydia, why don't you deal with the whole responsibility of having that weight on yourself and everything and how, you know, we tend to deal with it? Well, it's it's funny because I think sometimes if you look at your life and you think about it too much, you really do get freaked out. And and look about look look at our business, right? We're freelancers. And with being freelancers, it is always that, oh my God, when is the next job going to come in? I mean, I've been doing this for 25 years and well, 30 years as a, as a technician as well. And I have to say, I still freak out 
I still have these kind of, oh my God, when's the next job going to come in? You know, it's like you're, you, you always have this. And, uh, if you don't have it, I don't think you're, uh, you know, a really good artist either, because you, you always want to be, you know, looking to the next project and what's going to come in. And you need that energy to keep your creative edge. Exactly. And I think here's what, here's what I can say. You need to look at your comfort zone and how it works for your life. So Shane and I are at a point where, you know, how, what is your risk level of comfort because for every person it's very different and i think shane and i shane probably is a little bit riskier than i am overall but i've really done some risky things business wise and and taken huge leaps in terms of investing in something and having no idea you know it if it was going to work or not so i think you really need to to self analyze first of all and look at your family look at your obligations and say okay how much of a risk taker am i comfortable being right do i really want to be risky maybe i'm single and i don't have any kids i don't have responsibility right now you know that's a good time to kind of be maybe more of a risk taker versus when you have a family and and commitments and i will say that the industry is more yeah. now that i have two kids a wife and a lot of responsibilities that's when i take risks no I'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> um the industry is more volatile than ever oh my and god I've never seen an industry that is so damn tumultuous. I mean, we're really in a whole new realm. Commercials are going sideways. Feature films, if it's not uh, Marvel or DC Comics, then the shit's not being made. You know, it's it's just a weird headspace this business is in. And I think Netflix and television in general is just kicking some serious ass, and they're really putting out the best content. So knowing that as the backstop, then I my greatest advice, if I had any to give people, is investing in something where you know that you're going to get your money back. You're guaranteed a financial return. And that is why Shane, Shane is saying lenses, because, you know, lenses are something over the course of your career that will give you that financial return over and over and over again. I think what happens when you invest in gear is that people tend to want to use that gear because they know they've made the investment in that gear instead of really truly picking the right tool for the job based on the story. There's something that gnaws on them where it's like, wow, well, look how much money I've put off. You know, I'm going to figure out a way to get this in there. And I have to say that, you know, Shane, and I'm really proud of him for this, no matter over the years, what gear we've owned or what we've invested in or how we have gone about it. He honestly, from his heart, looks at the story, either defers to what the director is insisting on or picks something as an option for the director that really benefits the story. And that's the biggest piece of advice that I also want to give people because I think that that is, you know, again, that's going to give you longevity of an artist. Sorry that's going to give you longevity as an artist. And that's something um, that is priceless. So I think as you're weighing all of these decisions for yourself, really look at longevity and look at pricelessness because then everything else kind of falls into place, right? So it's like, you know, look at your risk-taking level, look at your longevity in, as an artist, look at how much you're comfortable investing in, and really choose wisely on those investments. And if you do those four things, I think, honestly, everything else takes care of itself. Now, the other thing is you need to to um, really manage your your mind and your fear. Um, this is an important part of mindfulness. And for us, you know, we meditate and really get clear on decisions because I think there's something about 
really quieting the mind to make an incredible decision or not rushing into it. Because that's the other thing I see so much in this industry is that people rush into purchasing something for a job because they feel like, oh my God, I have to get it. I have to get it before the job happens. And then they really regret that purchase because either it changes or something happens. So I would say really think long and hard. And this has been a very big lesson for me in 2017 is not rushing things. If I don't feel as though it's a hell yes to something, then it's automatically a no for me at this point. And then I really sit and kind of percolate about it, but I don't jump both feet in. All right. Now, uh, he had a second part to his question, which was uh, his advice or our advice on whether he should go for doing a short film and getting it into the festival circuit and meeting other people or do a demo reel to show off your your talents. Well, the short film circuit is a very dodgy and dicey risk. There's a lot of short film festivals out there. And I mean, we've been uh, at the um, forefront of two major shorts uh, that Poe Chan directed, uh, The Last Three Minutes and The Ticket. And we entered those into all the film festivals. And Poe got some traction as a director out of uh, The Last Three Minutes for sure. And, you know, started uh, working at a commercial production house and all that stuff. But that is few and far between. So uh, it's definitely a risk going down the short film realm. I would say if you're a cinematographer or if you're a director, uh, I think getting your demo reel together is paramount. And doing that and taking the time to get a great edit on it and something that's short and sweet and really shows your best skills. You don't want to try to give people what you think they want. You want to show them what your passion and your love is and what is the best work on your reel. And sometimes that's might not get the specific jobs that you want at this point, but it will because you'll get the jobs that you are good at. And people see that, and then you'll start to breathe as an artist. You'll start to get more experience as an artist, and then you will start getting those specific jobs that you're looking for. And I have to say that I think with the real, the relationships that you make with directors, I mean, I just look at the course of Shane's career when he was in commercials and in features. It's about the relationship with the the directors that you're making that come back to you over and over and over again to shoot the projects that they have. The problem with the short film festival route that I see is it can be a very slow burn. So there are, there's a lot of excitement about it, and I feel like it's almost a trap in certain ways because it's whether people respond to the story, whether they like the actors, they could give you lip service along the way and be like, oh man, your project was so great. I love it. And then you never hear anything back ever again. And so it's a really big time suck because you feel like, wow, I just made all these great connections, let's say from South by Southwest. And then you get back to your home and get into your daily routine and you never hear from people again. So the 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 thing about the reel that I really like is that whether or not you have an agent, you will know if people are responding to it and by the calls that you're getting, by the director relationships, by the fact that they're coming back to you and you have all this exciting new material to put on your reel. And I just feel it's a much uh, more immediate reward than than the festival route. All right, on to the next question. Hi, Shane and Lydia. It's Capper from Poland. Happy to be a new member of your community. It looks like it's going to be a very inspiring journey. Thank you for sharing your experience. Well, you're very, very welcome, Capper. My question regards a critical moment in my career. I'm experienced documentary and short film cinematographer. 
after my recent documentary film got showered with awards around the world, my director got a narrative film proposal and offered me to work on this film, too. We work together since we were in film school, and we both feel it's crucial for our films that we continue this collaboration. However, we are both debutantes in a feature-length narrative cinema. The film is going to be a mid-budget biopic about Polish brilliant and eccentric female singer who conquered Vegas in the 70s. Wow, that sounds interesting. Uh, the director wants me for the project very much, but producers raise some doubt about my lack of experience in managing a big film crew on a period piece. There are some wide mass scenes planned in casinos in Vegas. I feel very confident and have a very strong artistic vision about this film, and it's going to be my lifetime project. But how can I protect my position? And what arguments and actions should I undertake to gain producers' trust and convince them that I'm the right cinematographer for this film? I really count on your advice. Thanks. Well, I'm going to obviously let Shane speak to this, but the one thing that I do have to say, Kepper, going in to, if you have to go into an interview, if you have to, you know, somehow talk to the producers on the project. The biggest thing is going in very, very confident without being cocky. So you know that you're great at what you do. And I think the mistake sometimes is confidence can come across as, as kind of arrogance. And you just really want to focus on your experience to date and how you are organized and how you've led other crews in the past that you've, you know, you've been a part of on smaller projects. They just need to spend some time with you to get a sense of who you are and that you're up to the responsibility of the project. And I think that this is a very important thing where people, you know, may get a little frustrated with this process. But if you look at the overall money involved in a, you know, a feature, especially one um, that is this mid-budget biopic, it sounds like there's a lot of money on the table. And so I think it's really um, doing your research and your homework for these producers so that they understand not only can you deliver the vision, which I have no doubt you can, but do you have the emotional maturity under fire, you know, and under pressure to really handle this crew. All right. I'm going to tell you a story about uh, my first experience working in this exact scenario. So Rob Cohen had come to me. He, I shot a music video for his film Daylight uh, that Sylvester Stallone starred in. And Donna Summer and Bruce Roberts were together singing the theme song to uh, the film Daylight. And I was the cinematographer. And Rob Cohen is a very hands-on director. So he sent his... Uh, producing team down to make sure the music video was going very well and that Donna Summer and Bruce Roberts were being treated wonderful and and the visual sense of the of the treatment and everything was being uh, done correctly. And uh, the producers came down to the set and hung out for like four or five hours and then went back to Rob and they were like, dude, you got to check out this DP. I've never seen a DP command the set like this guy. He's so organized organized and so passionate and the way he was doing the music video was so revolutionary and and you got to work with him. So about a week later, I got this call from Rob saying, hey, can you come in and uh, I want to hire you to shoot my next uh, TV pilot. So it was with NBC and it took a ton of work to get me approved because I had never done narrative and, and, uh, but Rob pushed it through and I got this first narrative project. Well, next movie he gets is the Rat Pack for HBO. And this was a huge period piece, which is just like you, which had huge vistas of, of Vegas casinos, just like you're uh, encountering. And I had a studio being HBO uh, saying, why should I hire this guy that's only done one pilot for NBC and all he shot is commercials and music videos? So Rob sets me up for an interview. 
And I thought I was coming in to interview with the head of production on the film. And when I walked into the room, there were six studio execs there ready to fire questions at me. So I came in with a very humble but confident point of view. And I also came in with a ton of passion. And passion is something that can, it's like tossing gasoline on a flame. When people see how much you love your job and how dedicated you are and how passionate you are, they that's it's infectious. So that's what I did. And I went in there and I told them that I, that, uh, well, why should we, they said, why should we hire you? You've just done commercials. And I said, commercials is the playground for feature films. I can use anything I want on commercials. So I was able to take all that, take those clients, all the, uh, vendors that I had used. And I said, Hey guys, this is my first feature film. Can you really, really honker down and give me the greatest deal possible. And I'm going to use that influence of being this commercial director of photography to be able to bring to this project. Yeah, Lydia, you want to interrupt me? I'm going to interrupt because I have something really important to say. (laughs) Well, you can talk. You don't have to interrupt me. (laughs) No, what Shane's talking about that uh, just occurred to me. Capper, that's really important is that people cannot extrapolate what you've done. You have to give them the vision for that. And what I mean by that is that if you've only shot music videos or you've only shot commercials or or documentary, then that's all feature film people think that you are capable of doing. And they're not trying to be nasty or arrogant, but these are people that have to be proven because of the budgets involved. That you, and why they should take a risk. Exactly. Because it's hugely, I mean, as we were talking about risk-taking in the last question, when, when we're talking about $60 million risk-taking or $80 million risk-taking, that's really risky. Okay, versus the $6,000 or whatever. We yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the this was a $10 million risk for uh, HBO that uh, and what I found out after I went in and did the interview, which was, you know, I said, this is a oh, they fired off questions like, you know, how do you feel about lighting five people? And I'm like, well, what's a band? Right. And then they're like, well, how do you feel about, you know, lighting African-American skin next to white skin? Well, what are most of our artists that are uh, in the uh, music videos? And, uh, you know, it was just like a lot of, you know, you could, where you could see that they just had not thought through the process. Well, how do you feel about lighting women? Well, I was Herb Ritz's assistant for six years. I think I have that covered, you know, and it's not being arrogant or or it's just being very passionate and and direct and very, you know, matter of fact, which is what I think really worked well for my interview. And I said, hey, I said, let's this is a win win for you and myself. I get to work on an amazing script and I'm able to, you know, work with this incredible director and all these actors in this period piece. And this is going to be amazing for my resume. And at the same time, I'm able to bring in all my commercial contacts and pull all the favors in because this is my first feature and all the vendors are going to want to give us the greatest deals. And I know my crew is going to bend over backwards to make this just absolutely stunning. Or I can go back to my commercial world. I can shoot my music videos. And my daughter is about ready to be born and I can enjoy a wonderful time with my wife and my new child and life will be absolutely incredible. So, you know, it's it's a win-win either way, however you want to go for it. And I just laid it out there and I kind of walked out the door and thanked him very much. And I think that's the other thing is that Shane gave them the vision, and this is what I want you to hear just in closing. 
for them to see the possibility because we focus or you all focus so much on the visuals for the project, but it's equally important to give producers, executive producers, studio heads, the vision of you in that situation based on your knowledge and and experience so that they can understand what type of individual you are. And that's very, very critical. And I think that in talking this through is super helpful because I think that people don't focus on that for themselves. It's like you have to be able to know how to sell yourself as a person who is a competent artist, who can handle anything based on your past experience and then create that incredible vision for people to see. Absolutely. And, you know, unbeknownst to me, um, and Rob didn't tell me this till the end of the movie that HBO said, okay, we'll let you have uh, Shane Hurlbut, uh, but we're going to hire a whole other cameraman, a whole other camera team and lighting and grip team that is going to come in and swoop in when he fails. So just imagine this, they paid a whole other crew for a week waiting for me to fail. This is the movie business, baby. And it was, I think if I would have known that, I would have been pissed off and really like felt like they didn't believe in me. So it would have really affected the way I did the job. And Rob was so right on by not telling me anything till the end of the movie. So that was a a great piece of advice that he gave me because, you know, he said, I didn't want to tell you because I knew it would influence the way you did this movie. And you did everything that I had hoped uh, you would do and just delivered an amazing project. And, and, you know, we're, I I ended up being nominated uh, for best cinematography on that by the ASC. So everything worked out beautifully, but um, you have to be confident. You cannot be arrogant. You have to be humbly confident and you have to really paint the picture and show them what you're amazing at. And any questions or concerns that they have, you need to direct it back onto what you've done in your career and diffuse that bomb and, uh, and just show them you have tons of passion and uh, that this is going to be uh, an amazing experience for both parties. All right. All right. Great. I love that question. Thank you so much. We could go on for days about that question, (laughs) but we need to move on. So the next question is from Paul. Hi, Shane and Lydia. Why did I just find the inner circle now? It could help me so much in my early days. Okay. Now I am happy to be a member. Well, you know what, Paul? We're happy that you found us when you did. And here's the thing. There's so much you know, great content and wonderful stuff to come. And dive in as a member and really engage with other members because that's what makes it so extraordinary. And also, everyone who's a new member that's coming in, do not forget the archives. The archives is deep. There's so much amazing learning uh, back uh, when we first started the inner circle. So uh, look back in content and, and see what you can find. Okay. So now, Paul, onto your question. So my question, I am into the docu-business for 10 years now, but I want to go forward. I want to make more advertising work, but how can I get these jobs? There are so many good DOPs out there, and I don't know if there's some room for me. Where should I start? Should I contact an agency or how's the best way in getting into the business? Maybe you've already answered this question in other podcasts. There are a ton of great director of photographies out there, but that doesn't mean that uh, your vision and your, um, you know, your aesthetics and your artistic values are not appreciated. So, Getting an agent has become incredibly difficult. So uh, when I started out 25 years ago, 
there were not a lot of director photographies out there. So there were more agencies that were willing to go ahead and take a risk on a young whippersnapper like myself. And uh, that was awesome. And there were smaller agencies that uh, kind of grabbed those uh, young whippersnappers. So that isn't like that anymore. You really have to come in with a very good reel uh, and there's some, you know, smaller agencies that are grabbing these uh, people still, but you have to have a demo reel that's going to turn heads. So I would say you really need to concentrate on editing a, a wonderful demo reel, something that's going to um, turn the heads of uh, an agency and really focus on that. And th once you get that to a place where you're really loving it, and then you might say to yourself, well, my God, I don't have the work to be able to uh, do that. Well, this is where you got to start working for free and you got to start working on projects that maybe somebody's got a short film or they got a little demo spot that they want to do, a little spec spot as we call it, where you, you know, do a commercial for Nike, but you're really not doing a commercial for Nike. It's just a spec spot. So um, I've done, my God, probably 15 to 20 spec spots in my career and I've probably worked five and a half years for free. So these are the kind of things that you need to do to send your demo reel into a new direction. If it's all documentary work that you have, then uh, that's kind of the work that you're going to be getting still. So you need to veer and veering is scary because you're going into uncharted territory. It's like uh, if you can imagine Lewis and Clark, you know, heading out, you know, they they uh, supposedly in these books that I read, the most treacherous part of the journey for Lewis and Clark was through Arkansas. They said it was so thick and so nasty and the bugs were so intense that it almost took them out, of, you know, right there they, before they even got to Kansas City. So, you know. You got to really, you know, go for it in a way that is, you know, the, this veer that I talk about is is very important to uh, really establishing yourself as an artist and as a risk taker. And uh, but you have to be fully committed to the veer. You cannot wishy washy. You can't go back and forth on this veer. But when you veer, a lot of times it's starting over again. And yeah. that, that was my point. So if you're going to veer into completely uncharted territory, such as commercials, then you really may need to start out at a lower level than you were before. And I think this is a smack in the face for people sometimes because they just assume, hey, I'm just going to do an even slide from docu-work into commercials, or I'm going to do an even slide from commercials into features because, you know, of my vast knowledge and experience, because 10 years is a long time, right? But I think that you just need to be open if you really want to completely switch it up to doing whatever position is necessary to get you there. Yeah, I mean, I I was a gaffer and a key grip for about six years, and I had really high-end clients and huge director photographies, and we were doing, you know, million-dollar commercial campaigns. And when I made the jump to director photography, I went down 20 notches in that. I was doing like little $15,000, $20,000 Spanish commercials. I was doing everything possible, build my reel and to get me established. So it's a huge hit, but it's totally worth it if you love what you do and you want to, uh, you know, take your career in a, in a new direction. And lastly, your talent will speed you up the ladder very, very quickly. I mean, there's no, it doesn't mean that you need to do it for, you know, 15 years of being at a lower position. I mean, if you just showcase what you have inside of you, your talent will zip you up that ladder. So don't get discouraged. Okay. On to the next question. 
Uh, hi, Shane and Lydia. Thank you for all you do. I've been a part of this community for under six months and can't tell you the blessing it's been. Well, that's awesome. Awesome. We love hearing that. It really, it really warms our hearts and we are continuing. And I want everybody to hear this, to make it better, to infuse new ideas, to have new rollouts. So I just want you all to know that as hard as you push yourselves for greatness, Shane and I push ourselves to make this and what we're all creating together here even better. I currently work for a company on their advertising video team. I'm getting great experience working with smaller lights and high-end DSLRs like the GH4 and H7s. Eventually, I'd like to move on and make my own freelance company producing commercials with a long-term plan on working on features. How do you know when it's the time to move on. I'd like to experience different work environments, management styles, etc., but don't want to give up what's working for me already. Any advice on launching out on your own? Thank you. Well, Shane, who's taking this one first? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll kind of dive into this for a little bit because um, we kind of slightly addressed this on the last question, which was, you know, knowing when to jump is is a i don't think it's ever the right time uh and i think if you are always uh waiting for the right time to jump you're never going to jump so i had this wonderful article for g tech uh they interviewed me and i think the the name of it was cliff diving and um that's very much on how i kind of jump-started my career. I, I, you know, was working when I started as a grip truck driver, and then all of a sudden I got a job uh, to possibly be a key grip, and then I started working on all these low independent films, which were deferred pay, which meant you worked for free, uh, and just did all this stuff and just getting as much knowledge as I could and as much as experience as I could and building my team and building my vendors and client contacts and everything to the point where I could start to uh, really go out there and, and uh, grab the film industry by the balls, let's say. And I just jumped and I, I didn't necessarily have a parachute and I didn't necessarily know where the hell I was going to land. But I, I knew I'd figure it out on the way down because if you if you uh, hold on to this job that's very comfortable, give you that pay each week, and you have a really good team you're working with, you're going to be able to stay there. And that is, you're going to be stuck in that rut. Uh, and this is the veer that we talk about. This is a big change for you, uh, jumping out on your own. So it's creating, we've had so many uh, mentees come through uh, Hurlbut Visuals where they are so worried about this as well. And it's creating those relationships and it's it's uh, working with the team that you have uh, in your uh, advertising, you know, video team to say, you know, hey, uh, you know, you want to go out and, and shoot a little spec spot or you want to go out and shoot a little short film and, and you start to do that on the weekends and, and you just start to, to do things that are out of your comfort zone and get you more confidence in doing that. That's not just with your video team, but it starts to bring in other players and you start to introduce yourself to, to other people. And then maybe they get some work because that's kind of how I started out. When I was a grip truck driver on this B-movie called Phantasm 2, one of the electricians was a USC cinematography grad. Uh, and all of a sudden, his, one of his friends at USC got a 7-Up commercial. And then he asked me to be the gaffer on it. Well, I was just a grip truck driver. Now I'm the gaffer and he's the cinematographer. So it's like all of a sudden, this started to happen just by, you know, this just really just going for it and and getting yourself in this position to be able to really really be confident with your veer and taking you out of the comfort zone. 
I just have a few 30-second pieces to add to what Shane said. I think that instinctively, you know, part of your intuition says to you, you know what? I absolutely know that this timing is almost right. You will be so uncomfortable in the position where you are. You're just going to be so sick of it. You're not going to want to go to work. You're going to feel creatively bored. I mean, I think that there there are pieces if you really listen to yourself, if you if you take the time to quiet your mind, you have the answers. It's just that we're so darn busy in our day-to-day-to-day life that we don't take the time to listen. So that being said, you know, you will you will instinctively and intuitively know that the timing's right. You will set yourself up for success by stashing away some money and, you know, not being foolhardy with it, right? So I'm going to, you know, squirrel nutkin away some money so that if I don't work for a little while, I'm going to be able to be fine and pay my bills and all that responsible being adult stuff. And then, you know, then you really have to go all in and just go for it. And that's where your passion, that, that level of discomfort is very different than the level of discomfort um, that you feel when you have to leave your job. In other words, one is, I can't stand to be here anymore. I am just feeling sick when I come into work. I'll tell you a story. When I was nursing at Children's Hospital, nursing was never the right career, and I'm really grateful for it, but I just, I picked the wrong career to begin with. And so I would actually feel physically ill the weekend before I had to go in on the Monday to work. And I would dread it. And I would start dreading it and worrying about the fact that I had to go into this job that I really despised, even though I loved the kids. I just didn't like the work of nursing on Friday night. And then it would, I would just you know, obsess about this over the weekend. And then Monday I'd wake up like a half hour early. Oh my God, what's the day going to be like? Well, finally one day I just couldn't take it anymore. And I remember telling Shane, Shane looked at me and he said, quit, just quit this job. You're miserable. And I was so terrified to quit. But it was so liberating once I made the decision to actually go in there and quit. And after I quit, five other people followed me because I had somehow given them the courage that they could quit too with this job that they hated. And, you know, I I obviously had another job lined up with an outpatient physician. I mean, again, I wasn't foolhardy, but it was so much more freedom, so much less stress, so much more of what I wanted. And I'm telling you, it was such a learning experience. Now, looking back at my age to my 24-year-old self or 25-year-old self now, I would have seen the signs that I was miserable through my intuition and that I would have been like, oh my gosh, I need to make a radical shift. And so they're there. I I can just really encourage you to pay attention to yourself. And the last thing is you don't need permission from anybody. You steer your own course in life. So we're here to support you and this whole community is here to support you. But honestly, you have the answers and we're really excited for you as you move forward. All right. Next question. Hey, Lydia and Shane, I love, love, love the inner circle. Uh, All I have learned and continue to learn has given me confidence in my knowledge and skill set on our team. That is awesome. This is exactly... Exactly what we had hoped for. So all when we hear this, it just really warms both Lydia and our and our whole team's hearts. Thank you both and to everyone in the Inner Circle community for investing so much into others. Yes, the Inner Circle team is absolutely incredible. And before we go on with the question, I just want to talk about teamwork because I'm obsessed with teams. I think that teams, filmmaking is teamwork, whether you do it in the docu, the commercial, the feature, the independent short, whatever way you do it, filmmaking is all about teams. Teams create greatness because you have the individual skill sets of everybody, each in their own way, creating something really extraordinary. 
Absolutely. Here's the question. My question is about time management. I tend to be slower at certain tasks because I'm ensuring the quality of my work is high. For example, I just spent a full two and a half days straight researching what lights I recommended our growing team buy for our needs and for our future projects. This seems like a long time to me, but I don't think it would have been good to spend any less time. Other team members take shortcuts and get things done faster, and the shortcuts usually go unnoticed. How can I increase my productivity and speed and maintain a high standard of product? Any other tips on being efficient with our time? Thanks for your insight, Kenneth George. All right. Well, I'll start on this one, Lydia, and then you can uh, fly in here. I think um, it takes a lot of time to do really good research. And uh, I know Lydia is a hell of a research person. And when I do every feature film I work on, I do a ton of research. I, whether it's lighting that I'm looking to research or new camera technology or uh, new ways to move the camera, I, I take, you know, four to six hours sometime and just go through and read American cinematographers to, to look for inspiration or go into reference books and look for new kind of composition and color and mood. So these are all things that take time. It's like a fine wine. You know, you can't rush it. Um, so I think your productivity uh, can be sped up uh, by the back end. Okay, so let me kind of uh, explain that. So if you're researching lights, and you're probably going to have to do this in the future. You bookmark, you uh, put into folders all the stuff. So spreadsheets, spreadsheets and everything. So it's, it's all kind of organized uh, with links and everything that you put in there. So when you do have to go back, it's much quicker in the process. Um, when you're going for, I mean, this is how I do it on movies. Uh, everything is about communication. Everything is about creating what I call the Bible, which is, you know, taking storyboards, putting shot descriptions in them, uh, organizing them in the way we should shoot so we're the most efficient. And then, uh, you know, the icing on the cake is telling the, the team exactly what camera is going to be used, exactly what lens is going to be used, and exactly the right placement of where that camera is going to be. So what Shane's talking about, and I really believe uh, wholeheartedly here, Kenneth, is systematizing yourself because creating systems for yourself really speeds up productivity. And I'll tell you this, if you don't have systems in your business, it's a red hot mess and you're in business for yourself as a filmmaker. And otherwise you waste a ton of time. Like, oh my God, where did I put that? Where where was that? Hey, I saw something the other day. It's like a nightmare. And you just circle jerk yourself. Yeah, I have crew lists are, that are already made. I have electric lists that are already in template form. So I can go through there and just add numbers. I have grip lists, camera lists that are all splayed out. So I can literally just check boxes and send orders out. So it makes it very efficient. So um, to add to productivity and speed, the other thing that I can tell you is I think that research can, because I've done this since my early 20s, um, I was going to do medical school, I did research for that, I was going to do forensics, I did research for that, and then I got into business and marketing and found my true passion and love. But the bottom line is, is that you have to know how to spend your time and where to spend your time. And this is a really huge part of it because a lot of your time on the internet can get sucked up in wasting time. And so when you do research, and this comes with knowledge and experience, um, you know, you put it where it matters most. So for a cinematographer, understanding lighting techniques, understanding camera movement, you know, researching films, shorts, you know, going back to the masters, that is always, always time well spent. I think where, and, and I, you know, a lot of you may disagree with me on this, but I think a lot of time 
can be wasted in gear research and in spending so much time on like what's the latest, tradest, latest, ah, on spending so much time on what is the, the hottest gear, what, what is new, what's coming out, that the issue that you have is that you don't research the techniques and the long-term asset pieces to set you up for success, but you spend time on the shiny object of the gear because it's new and exciting. And in business, it's kind of like um, you could get sucked into social media for hours and hours out of a day. And if I were on Facebook all day, I would never get any work done, right? Never getting deliverables, things that I owe all of you done or ways to move the business forward. And so I think that when you look at your time and, you know, it also becomes more efficient when you're taking care of yourself and you're sleeping well. And I always go back to these um, self-care concepts, but it's really true. If you're going on no sleep, um, your brain is just not functioning at an optimal level. If your mind is cluttered, it's going to take you 10 times the amount of time to go through the same amount of material where if you have a free and open mind. So whether or not you believe in meditation, whatever way calms your mind, slows your brain from constant thinking. And the other thing is taking a break. And I know that this sounds very counterintuitive, but I work in bursts of of work if, and it's very, very efficient because I'm a mom. I have senior elder care that I'm doing. I'm, I, I'm pulled probably more than any person on our entire team, even more pulled than Shane. And because of all of my commitments. And um, so I have little teeny tiny bursts to work in. So I have to be incredibly efficient in that amount of time, given the demands that I have on my life. And so it's really been great for me because it's like, okay, one, two, three, go. I'm going to sit down and write an article for 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And then I don't have the luxury of overthinking it, of wondering if it's good, of this and that, because after that 30 minutes, I'm pulled into leadership somewhere for the team or into accounting or needing to do something else for the business. And so by working in these bursts, um, it I find it very, very efficient. Otherwise, you could literally spend 15 hours of your day on the computer researching websites, really not gaining anything or not pulling anything. So I think it's knowing when to cut yourself off as well in this process and take a break, go for a walk, you know, maybe think about what you've just seen on the internet to get creative for a while. It's like over the years, you learn really efficient techniques for yourself, but it comes with time and experience. All right. Well, that concludes our July podcast. I want to thank everyone out there for uh, all the questions and also to continue to submit the questions. And uh, we also wanted to reiterate the time sensitive. Uh, make sure you... Um, you know, write in your podcast question if it is time sensitive. That way we can, uh, especially if you're about ready to embark on a project or something that you need a, a quick answer on, uh, we will jump on that uh, quickly. One final note for all of you that is very exciting. We are always looking for great talent, for great people, Um to help us on our team at Hurlbut Visuals as we're growing and expanding. And we obviously want to pull from our inner circle first and foremost. Uh, nothing specific in this moment other than uh, part-time editorial is what comes to mind. Yeah, we're looking for an assistant editor. Uh, so if any of you uh, have those skills, we would love to be able to, uh, you know, have you send your resume to Ann at HurlbutVisuals.com. Uh, we're also just looking for great passion and people that want to help uh, educate uh, this amazing community that we have and uh, that that uh, we would love to collaborate with. So what we're going to be doing in the next month or so is we're actually going to be um, putting up a little career section 
on uh, the Inner Circle and obviously the blog if you have friends and they're not an Inner Circle member. Um, but we are going to take the people directly from the Inner Circle. And that is going to, you know, it's still, it's up and coming. So be sure to look for it. And we will have up there in a given month kind of what we're looking for. We do appreciate your patience with this because I know that um, for our cinematography intern program, we have a very, very long list and we are slowly making our way through that list. Some of you may have been on it for two years or three years. The issue that we've discovered with this, just to talk to the point for one second is that in order for you to get value out of it, it you can't be with us for just a month. So what we've really found is like a six month to one year sweet spot for the cinematography intern program, or it just doesn't benefit you in any way. And so because we've extended the length, it used to be, I think, three months initially, but because we've really extended the length of it, then there are just not as many slots available. So thank you for your patience with that. Please look for this career section coming up. And um, as a final reminder, be sure to look to one another. If you have jobs coming up, please, you know, post them on Facebook, reach out to one another. And if you need crew members, I always want our community to support one another because that's what makes it really super special. Yes, we're building an army here and the army needs to help each other out um, and in every way that they can. So never leave a man behind. <laughs> it is a good closing story because um, so I'm doing Act of Valor, right? And uh, we're we're doing this whole sequence and uh, where they go in and and uh, try to rescue the CIA agent and everything. And I'm like, you know, the one of the guys, Mikey, gets shot up immediately. And, and uh, you know, we ended up um, saving Mikey in the movie and and, you know, keeping him going. And, and uh, the SEALs had a real problem with that because they leave the man behind because they know if they try to save them, it sacrifices the whole team instead of just one individual. So I'm like, I can't believe it. You're just going to leave Mikey there. And they're like, yeah, that's what we would do. Mikey would just leave there we would continue to go on. And I'm like, what about the never leave the man behind? And then you go, that's the army and the Marines. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great summer, everybody. Yes. All right. Bye-bye. What helps you become a better filmmaker? Knowledge, practice, consistency. That's exactly what happens in our loving film community of shanesinnercircle.com. Knowledge you can trust, people that care. If you want your questions answered, join us at shanesinnercircle.com. Hi, I'm Shane Hurlbut, and I'm an ASC cinematographer. And thanks for joining us for another episode of the Filmmakers Academy podcast. Take advantage of monthly virtual group mentorships, networking events, and new content released weekly by becoming a member today. Join today and get $20 off your first month by using the promo code FAPOD20. That is F-A-P-O-D-20. And join the number one resource for cinematographers, film crews, and do-it-all filmmakers.